What is that when you jump around and carry on and do the who dat who dat stuff? The who dat, you know, that's really kind of a, a fan. You know, that's that's our 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 chant. Duncan Holder Podcast back at you. Larry Holder, Jeff Duncan here on the Athletics Podcast Network. Of course, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can jump on there and subscribe, get all of our great podcasts. And, of course, everything that is anything with The Athletic, whether it's the New Orleans market, whether you're into the Vancouver Canucks, you could get all that coverage too. Uh, Soccer overseas, we have it all here theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. And if you click on it and you subscribe, word on the street is you can get $3.99 per month uh, through our podcasting. So that's a good deal uh, for all of you out there who have yet to subscribe. Or if you want to just listen to us where you get your pods, Apple, Spotify, all those places, rate, review, subscribe, tell a friend, tell a million, the Duncan Holder podcast. So Jeff, playoff time. We've basically just been sitting around waiting for this to happen, waiting to see if the team could shake off a little bit of those late-season blues, and they certainly have in the last two weeks with the win in Minnesota and, of course, the latest win in Carolina. And now the Saints will be taking on the Chicago Bears, a, I'd say a familiar foe or maybe a bitter foe or one or two, or you could you could add it all up, even going back to uh, even uh, the playoff days with Jim Mora. You know, they, uh, they, they've lost there before. And then, of course, 2006, the NFC Championship game. And now we are going to be seeing the Chicago Bears again. Uh, so, Jeff, what do you make of this Saints team right now heading into the playoffs, uh, having have won two in a row and, and a convincing win again in Carolina? Yeah, I think they've kind of uh, established that they're what they wanted to do, an, an ascending team is what Breeze likes to say. And I thought their performance against Carolina was really impressive given all the attrition, all the players that they didn't have available. And if they get the reinforcements back this week the way they planned, and we don't, still don't know the fallout from the, the game on Sunday, who's going to be available, who isn't, but they should be, Larry, in as good a shape as any team in the league and maybe as good a shape as any team has ever been that I can remember uh, this late in the season. I know Quan Alexander's obviously out, but other than him and whoever came out of this game on Sunday, and uh, we still don't know exactly the COVID situation with some of the backs, but they look like they're going to be back. They should be as healthy and as fortified as any roster could possibly be going into the playoffs, and that's been the plan all along. And the way they're playing, um, I, I really like their chances to, to at least get back to the big game. And the big game, you mean the Super Bowl? Yes. That's how far you're going. Ooh. Yes. Boy, Jeffrey, ready to bet his house, get to the Super Bowl, and see what happens. But uh, first, though, Chicago Bears, and you might feel like they're playing as well as they get to the Super Bowl. You know me. I am always a little nervous, little shaky, and when you look at the odds for this weekend, brings me back to last year. Saints win the wild card weekend, biggest favorite of wild card weekend, and they lost. Once again, this weekend, 
biggest wild card favorite, and let's see what happens. And the Saints have some issues to pan out there. Uh, but here, look, we've talked about this, and I wrote about it going into the Carolina game. I ranked the opponents of most favorable and least favorable. And I think the Bears at that time was the most favorable matchup. And I've already got my cheat sheet out. It usually doesn't come out till Friday. I got it done yesterday because we're, we're switching it up because we want to get the information out to you as quickly as we can now uh, into the playoffs. And I still think the Bears are the best matchup. I mean, when you go through – and I'm not just talking – and I'm just talking – I'll back up. Even if Kamara doesn't play, like say Latavius Murray plays, I still like the Saints ground game going against the Bears. And the Bears secondary – you could pick your poison as far as if you're the Saints because their secondary is, has been apt to sluggish games. And even their best corner, Kyle Fuller, has been playing poorly these last five or six games as opposed to the first ten where he was playing at uh, his typical Pro Bowl level. So you add it all up, and I still think I, I feel better about this matchup than I did about last year's matchup in the wild card game. And I thought the Saints were going to win that game pretty handily and they didn't but I feel even better about this one uh than the one from last year oh I do too I I mean it could not be a better matchup for the Saints I know Chicago's got a a solid defense but offensively uh, I don't see how they're going to move the ball consistently against the Saints the way the defense is playing now and uh Mitchell Trubisky has played better recently but at this time of year Larry I'm a big believer in in experience uh, you know, quarterbacks that have been through the playoff ringer and Mitchell Trubisky has not been there. And this is the kind of team you want to play in round one with an inexperienced quarterback, kind of a, a pedestrian offense. Uh, I, I really think the Saints, unless they have some unforeseen turnovers, uh, you know, mental errors, uh, I just, this, there's a reason they're a, a, basically a 10-point favorite in this game. Uh, the way they're playing, and the fact that they're going to be so healthy. And the, and the other thing I think that's important, I know Saints fans have, uh, you know, still have PTSD from past playoff losses, and everyone's kind of worried about the first round and, and what happened last year. But Sean Payton has been turning the screws on this team. Uh, I know the last couple weeks, I mean, he's batting it down the hatches. This team is going to be focused. I don't see them having – a Vikings-like performance. I really don't. I, I think they're going to be wired in, and it would not surprise me to see them win this game going away. Well, Jeff, you talk about Peyton trying to kind of tighten the screws, as you say. Uh, look, there, some screws were definitely left unturned uh, when you look at the Alvin Kamara situation with the running backs and such. And I know uh, Sean Payton hasn't, spoken a ton about it publicly i know mickey loomis filled in for sean payton on the uh, sean payton's radio show on the saints radio network last night and uh to to bobby abrams credit asked the, the questions that you probably wouldn't expect from uh say the saints radio network uh but still uh, like it, this is something that I'm, I'm curious how much this plays within the locker room and how much this plays going forward just because you know, this affected an entire room. It put someone at risk, and it involved a star player really being responsible for it. And so, you know, how much do you think that there's maybe some 
strife within there, or do you think they they could calm this thing down and winning can solve all? They they get through this game and then they'll they'll be okay. Yeah, I think there's some concern behind closed doors with the fact that it's late in the year and they've been preaching this message to the team behind closed doors all season, and then you have a slip up right at the most important time of the year. Now, if Alvin's back, as we expect on Sunday, and uh, they get through this, then it could just be a footnote. But the fact is uh, they can't afford any slip-ups like this the rest of the way, and they've done so well, Larry. You know, they've been as as successful in handling the virus as any team in the league. What what have they had? Taron Armstead, Emmanuel Sanders – is that it? Other other than this last week, going into that, uh, maybe a, a, like Dwayne Washington at the very yeah. beginning of the season, uh, but it's it's really been uh, and the and the Mike and the Michael Burton scare, and that wasn't even his fault. Right, it's a so, false positive, right? Right, right. Yeah, so I mean, I think they've done a good job of it, and then to have this happen, and and Alvin Kamara, you know, talking to people in the organization, uh, you know, he's. He's a strange cat, you know. I mean, he's a smart guy, but he marches to the beat of his own drum. And on this thing, he did, and he paid the price for kind of uh, a rebellious attitude towards the protocols. And uh, I know people internally are not happy with him, and he's certainly gotten that, received that message. Uh, so I expect him. I know some people are wondering if he's going to play on Sunday without practicing. I think he definitely will. Uh, just because he's too good a player and he's too important, and this is something of a of a one time slip up for him. I can't think of too many things that he's uh, failed the team on, uh, but it was an egregious mistake because it almost cost them all. It didn't. It just didn't just affect him. It affected the entire running back room and the coach because he didn't wear the tracer, and that's really the big mistake. It wasn't that he got COVID. Uh, if he would have gotten COVID, they could have done contact tracing and figured out everyone else is okay. The fact that he was not wearing his tracer forced the NFL under their guidelines to basically wipe out everybody because they couldn't say for sure that everybody uh, was who was in contact with him. They didn't know. And that is what has caused uh, rankled uh, people within the organization, and rightfully so. Uh, you know, that's just blatant, uh, you know, disregard for the rules and um, – the Saints were lucky to kind of uh, be able to get around it and great game planning by the Saints offensive staff and Sean Payton. We've said it, you and I, many times, but I thought that performance on Sunday was more validation in just how good uh, Payton and that staff is at cobbling together a game plan with whatever they have available. What do you mean, just pulling a guy out of the wide receiver room <laughs> who barely plays running back anymore and, uh, and having him run for 100 yards? Uh, and uh, You know, it's something that – at least this wasn't a Kendall Hinton situation. At least they had someone who could run the football. And then, look, they elevated Tony Jones, and he left early in the game. So it was all Ty Montgomery and then Taysom Hill, and that's another element we're going to get to here uh, in a minute or so. Uh, but, yeah, Ty Montgomery at, le- at least gives you confidence going forward that uh, he could be used in a pinch. And, uh, you know, you throw him in, we're going to assume that Latavius Murray will be back because he was he was on the on the list because of contact tracing and not necessarily because he contracted it. So uh, you know if they have if he if say if Kamara can't play 
and Latavius Murray can go, we've seen him, when called upon, play well. And now we've seen Ty Montgomery, when called upon, play well. So that just gives you uh, another element that you really maybe didn't know that you had. But look, Taysom Hill, and you and me have talked about this a lot on the podcast. I was always curious to see if they'd ramp up uh, his production or his diversity of snaps, whether it's throwing the ball or running the ball. Look, he sustained an injury in the game, and we don't know if he's going to play. So that you take that element away, and then you know he's an element you've had consistently for the past, what, two or three years. And so that's something that Sean Payton uh, could easily have to work around this game as well. Yeah, I think Taysom Hill has become a, a key uh, factor for them on offense in, in that he's become the de facto short yardage guy, right? I mean, they go to that package with him at quarterback and that power – quarterback sweep kind of uh, run and it's been extremely successful not only in short yardage but also near the goal line it's almost unstoppable uh so I, I agree with you Larry I think his health and we were talking about this yesterday I was talking to Deuce McAllister about it um you know Taysom had this college career that was just riddled with injuries and then he gets to the NFL and really this is the first time I remember him getting hurt at all uh, and, he, and it looked like he just got dinged up on that one. But that was the mark on him. That's why he didn't get drafted. He was so uh, – his career was so checkered with injuries that people weren't sure he could hold up in the NFL. And I think he's done a great job of building his body over the year. Over the years, uh, he's a beast in the weight room. His lower body strength is among the, the best on the team. And he just looks almost indestructible out there. And it's one thing – him doing it now, but if he becomes the quarterback uh, of the future here, uh, he's going to have to learn when and when not to take on these big hits. That's something I think that I'm sure will be uh, preached to him uh, going forward, but they need him, I think, healthy in this stretch run because, uh, you know, he's a key role player on that offense. Well, Jeff, you look at, say, this Bears-Saints matchup, and I think people forget how close that last game actually was. I, I almost did. Yeah. You remember it for the the C.J. Gardner-Johnson uh, uh, whims shenaniganry. <laughs> uh, you also remember it for that Michael Thomas was supposed to play and he got suspended leading up to that game uh, for fighting C.J. Gardner-Johnson. But all of a sudden, you look back, the Saints had that game comfortable, and then they blew a 10-point lead and almost uh, – end up with a tie. I mean, Will Lutz kicks a field goal with less than two minutes left in overtime, and they escape with a win. And so, and, and look, those circumstances, Nick Foles was a quarterback. They weren't using David Montgomery as much. Uh, I don't think Akeem Hicks played. Well, yeah, actually, Akeem Hicks did play. Uh, but uh, it's something that this matchup, uh, look, in my cheat sheet, Bears fans are already giving me hell for it because I gave the Saints the edge <laughs> – Everywhere. The only things I did not give them an edge on, I gave three pushes. It was all specialists. Returner, kicker, punter. Everything else I gave the Saints an edge, and then they're like, they're trying to fight. This is this was their, their <laughs> argument. They're trying to like die on this hill where, well, Cairo Santos is better than Will Lutz. I mean, that's how far they're grasping at straws. But still He's having a good year. Santos. I know, but still, know. he's a journeyman kicker. Uh, look, hey, former Tulane. Look, I, even in this, you're seeing me, we're doing this on Zoom. I'm wearing a Tulane hat. Right. So it's like, ode to uh, Cairo Santos and Darnell Mooney, which we got to get to here in a minute, too. 
But uh, but look, uh, it all points to the Saints winning this game. But the last matchup just shows you fluky things can happen. Uh, and I know that was at Soldier Field, but still. Uh, so yeah, it's uh, even though it looks so confident, we're talking about all these pieces coming back. It's still the playoffs. You, you just really never know. Yeah, I, I, when I look back at it, Larry, I couldn't believe the game went to overtime. My, my memory right. does not remember <laughs> that. I do not remember that going to overtime. I knew it was kind of close, but it felt like the Saints were in control of that game. Am I wrong, like, the whole way? They could have run out the clock and never give this, the Bears the ball back, but they missed out, and then they gave the ball back to the Bears with two minutes, less than two minutes left, and then they went down and kicked a field goal, and then they exchanged possessions in overtime, and the Saints – Got a field goal to win it and just escape. I, I just feel that was the game also, though, the Saints played without, like, their whole receiving core, right? Am, am I wrong on that? Feel- well, Michael Thomas was supposed to come back. He didn't come back. Yeah. Uh, was that when Emmanuel Sanders had COVID? Yeah. I, like, I need to, I need to They were out, like, that. a bunch of weapons in that game, if I remember correctly. But the other, the other thing is, look, I, I was preaching on here a week ago that I thought Chicago was going to beat Green Bay, and I watched a lot of that game. I was going back and forth. And they got trucked, man. I mean, they were yes. lucky to be, be even be in that game early. Uh, and that, to me, was eye-opening. One, the Green Bay's for real, because I've been kind of doubting them all year. I don't know why, but I just have. I know. I've been trying to tell uh, you. I was like, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, that was an eye-opener. But it also told me that Green Bay, in a game that Chicago had to have, now they were fortunate that Arizona ended up losing, but that was all on the line. It was at home. It's against your rival. Playoff stakes at the highest and you get you weren't really even competitive on, in that one down the stretch that told me all I need to know about the Bears I think if the Saints come to play which I expect them to I agree 100% with your analysis this team is people have taken this team for granted I think a little bit in the talent level the Saints have and the Saints have the most talented team in the NFL there's no doubt about it. I don't care what the Pro Bowls were this year they had a lot of guys like Mike Thomas that were saddled by injuries, Drew Brees. But when they're at full strength, they're the best roster in the NFL and the most complete team in the NFL. And I think they're going to show it on Sunday against the Bears. Uh, Demario Davis and Ryan Ramchick don't make Pro right. Bowls, but they make all pros, that sort Andres of thing. Andres Pete makes the Pro Deon- Bowl. Oh, boy. <laughs> that's another well, that's, podcast can- for another day. <laughs> what are you talking about? It's been the pod, same <laughs> podcast for all, for all, all season long. Just a refresher uh, – the oh, uh, the receiver who got the start against the Chicago Bears, of course, official start was Jawan Johnson. Yes, he got the official start. Marquez Callaway was out. Michael Thomas uh, they they parked on the bench. Sanders had COVID. The receivers they had active that day were Jawan Johnson, uh, Traquan Smith, Tommy Lee Lewis. I'm reading through the game chart. Austin Carr. So it was the band of practice squatters and Traquan Smith. And they still should have won that game handily. And, uh, and, you know, so that's the Saints look to be getting those pieces back. I mean, we're under the assumption that Michael Thomas will be back. We're under the assumption that Deontay Harris will be back. Uh, You've got Marquez Callaway back for the last couple of weeks, and he continues to look like he could be a player within this offense. Jared Cook has held on to the football better. I mean, Emmanuel Sanders has been catching the ball. And so you add all these other pieces and, it is going to look different than what offensively than what the Saints played against the Bears the last time. And don't you feel like, you know, one of the things that the storyline that really nobody's talking about 
is Breeze. I feel like Breeze is playing better and better. He looks good to me. I, I, I feel that some of the jitters we saw earlier in the season and some of the little uh, things that were holding him back, I mean, no one's talking about his arm strength anymore. Uh, I feel like he's looked decisive, managed everything like we expect Drew Brees to manage. And that storyline's kind of gone away. But I think if you're a Saints fan, you got to feel good about if, if they get these weapons back on offense, the way Drew's playing, the offensive line, the way they're dominating the running game, that things are going to start clicking offensively. Yeah, I think that's a good point. Drew Brees has looked, especially in this last game, I mean, he looked like he was pinpoint, bing, bang, boom. The numbers might not look 200 yards, this, that, and the other. People, it's, uh, it's, these are the same people who complain that Drew Brees threw for 300 yards and didn't have any touchdowns, right. and yet they rushed for seven touchdowns. And had an interception, one wasn't his fault, and if uh, Jared Cook runs the route more crisp, maybe that doesn't get picked off. So, you know, th- these sort of things. And so I-, I feel like it was a good sign that from the Minnesota game, to the Carolina game, these guys we were talking about, Sanders, Callaway, Cook, those things changed like from one week to the next. And they looked crisp and that thing was getting moving. And then you add all these other pieces back to the puzzle and they're ascending. And I don't think they were, I didn't feel like they were ascending going into last year's playoffs and even the year before's playoffs. I don't feel like they were ascending. I kind of felt like they were just kind of moving in and then you expected them to flip a switch. This, I think, they got kind of their flub games out the way, and now they're kind of moving on the, in the right direction. And that's uh, and we haven't really talked defensively. Look, five picks. I mean, that's the most picks in a game since the '91 Dome Patrol. That happened. And so, and I know your new, your new favorite, Grant Haley. You know, you're going to have him for Defensive Player of the Year. But uh, but look, I, they needed a game like that. I feel yeah. like going in, into the playoffs, and it's not like you're facing. Aaron Rodgers to start. I mean, you're facing Mitch Trubisky, who, even though they've won three of their last four games, he's been okay. He hasn't been great. Like, he's been 96, 95 passer rating in those games, and then his passer rating's dipped, and he hasn't been just Joe Montana. Let's just put that out there before everyone says, oh, my gosh, he's playing well. Yeah, uh, he was playing fairly well there for a few weeks, and then – Green Bay, he really didn't do much of anything. I think if the Saints shut down that running game, which is so critical to what they do, and I think they will, um, they're going to really struggle to move the ball consistently. Allen Robinson's a good player. Darnell Moon, he's had a great rookie season. He's a he's emerged as their number two receiver, and uh, you can see why they like him. I mean, he's a really dynamic player. He would be great for the Saints. Uh, he, he brings a, a perfect element that the Saints kind of lack, that speed and uh, you know, ability to get open out of the slot. But other than that, Jimmy Graham, at this stage of his career, uh, he's had a decent year, but he is what he is. He can't really run like he used to. So the, Saint, the, the, the Bears strike me as yet another kind of plodding team on offense. And the Saints defense, one of the things that they've done a great job of is adding the athleticism to that defense. Now, it hurts that Quan Alexander is not there, but the fact that – uh, you know, you got C.J. Gardner-Johnson, uh, looks like he'll be back. Uh, those those elements that they've added the last few years, adding Zach Bond in, who we saw got, got some playing time this past week, uh, the defensive line athleticism. The Saints are just too athletic, I think, for Chicago. They're going to have to scheme it up, and I don't have any confidence that they can do that against against this defense. Yeah, Bond might see a little bit more playing time just because of the running element, mm-hmm. and he played about 30% of the snaps against Carolina and that's with 
Alex Anzalone and Demario Davis playing 98% of the snaps. So he, he was getting in there a good bit more. Curious to see about Marcus Williams. The fact that he was never put on IR is probably a good sign. Probably points to him being able to return this week. And he's had a really good season. So, you, we hit, you know, there's, you need him in the playoffs. He's, he, he's looked like he's kind of gotten it together and really had a good read on things. And Patrick Robinson, he may be able to come back too. So it seems like they're pushing uh, in, in the right direction injury-wise. But, Jeff, let's look on the other side, though. You mentioned Darnell Mooney and another key element, Roquan Smith. Both of those players left the game with injuries in Green Bay, and there's a, there are fears in Chicago that neither one of them can play. Roquan Smith is basically Demario Davis yep. for Chicago. He is a spectacular player does everything the same way as DeMario does. If they don't have him, that's a huge loss uh, because it's Danny Trevathan and a bunch of nobodies, and Danny Trevathan is kind of an aging player. And if you don't have a Darnell Mooney, all eyes will be on Allen Robinson, and then you have enough good players in your secondary that no one should really scare you, and you should be able to shut that down. Yeah, and look, I think we, we overlooked the fact that Trey Hendrickson and Malcolm Brown both came back last, uh, right. last weekend. And that's a huge boost to the defensive line rotation. Uh, Malcolm Brown, I think, uh, showed in the game the other day. They're a different defense when he's in the middle against the run. And uh, that's going to, I think, help them a lot in this game. Because I I really can't see Matt Nagy coming out trying to throw the ball. I think that the only way they can win this game is to keep the ball away from the Saints, control the clock, win that time of possession battle. And to do that, you've got to run the ball. And I just I don't see how their offensive line is going to consistently block the Saints up front. No one really has done that all year, though. The only game the Saints' defensive line has really laid an egg was the Eagles game. And, and that was pretty clear early on that they didn't bring it that game. And since then, they've dominated up front. And the Saints' offensive line has dominated. I mean, they're running for 200 yards a game now. It's an amazing run that they've been on. Um, and we've said it all along. This Saints team is built through the trenches, and that's how you still win football games, and they have a decided advantage in this game. While the Bears' defensive line is strong, the Saints' offensive line can certainly match up. All right, we'll give our prediction at the very end of this podcast, even though mine's already public. But I wanted to spend the last few minutes here. Jeff, you wrote uh, an amazing, wonderful story uh, about uh, a person you've been chronicling uh, for many, many years, and that's Steve Gleason. And he is uh, 10 years removed from the diagnosis of having ALS. And you were fortunate enough, uh, the family you've known for many, many years now, uh, and they let you into a day in the life of Steve Gleason leading up to his 10-year diagnosis of ALS. Uh, please go read the story. It's an amazing story. Uh, that that Jeff has uh, has done, and Jeff, uh, just your overall experience in that. I mean, I, I know that's something that you and me have never seen before, and and I mean, you you got to live it and just and just see how challenging it is just for day to day for Steve. Yeah, and you know the, the whole thought behind the story, talking to Steve and and his team was, you know, we, it's all t- tied to the ten year anniversary, which is today of his diagnosis. Larry, I I remember like it was yesterday being out, um, I know this won't shock you, being out on Magazine Street at at Bully Tavern, the wine bar, uh, in December of 2010, running into Michelle outside, 
and talking to her and she said, Hey, have you, have you seen Steve yet? Have you talked to him? I said, no. She goes, well, he's inside. Go find him right away. And I went inside and he told me that at that time he was still crisscrossing the country, um, getting a battery of tests, but it was starting to look and be narrowed down that it was going to be ALS and the gravity of his voice that night, um, was really jarring to me. I didn't really know what ALS was, and certainly I know now, but that was just a few weeks before his official diagnosis, which was January 5th, 2011. And so to think it's been 10 years now, he was given two to five years to live, as most ALS patients are. Uh, it's a terminal disease. They still don't have a cure. And for him to still be going strong 10 years later, we wanted to try and document that and illustrate it for our readers and for the people at large of what he goes through on a daily basis just to live. I mean, it's, it's mind boggling. Uh, it's a, it, they've got it down now to about a 90 minute process in the morning, Larry, uh, the regimen we kind of chronicle in there, but it used to be about three hours because the, the caretakers weren't as, uh, you know, efficient at, at the, the process of getting him ready to start the day, but they've got it down to about 90 minutes, but it's still 90 minutes every day just to get him out of bed, get him cleaned, get him dressed, uh, you know, all the, all the things, the protocols they have to go through to make sure he's ready for the day. And then it's a similar process to put him to bed. And I think we all, you know, see Steve on the sidelines at Saints games. We see him at different events, speaking engagements. And I don't think people understand just how difficult the life is that he lives and really wanted to get him to explain what it is that drives him 10 years later. What, what is that makes him go through this process to live the life he, as he calls it, to live the impossible. And it's basically two things as you, is you, you know, you know, uh, it's his family. He's now, you know, the father of two children. He and Michelle, uh, or gray is two rivers is nine. That being a father and, and, and that role is important to him. And also the work they do at team Gleason of changing, and bettering the lives of people with ALS is extremely important to him and his team. They're now up to 11 full-time staffers. Uh, they were about four or five for a long time. They've really exploded in the growth of the, of the organization the last year or so. And I think that the fact that he knows he's making a difference to so many people all over the world, um, that drives him as well and gets him out of bed because it is tough. And, and I think, as usual with Steve, he's so honest and revealing of just how difficult it's been on he and his family. And he understands the burden of, of living with ALS for everyone around him. Uh, and he's very open and honest in his, in this story. And look, he has a team of people that is, takes care of him because he has the resources to do it. Other people out there with ALS uh, don't have that. They have maybe a family member, some friends, an aunt or an uncle. Uh, so it's difficult to live with this disease and Steve, um, I think is going to keep going as long as he wants to keep going. I get asked that all the time, but, uh, this guy is an amazing human being and, uh, the way he attacks life, I think is a, a, a really good life lesson for everyone, uh, whether you're a football fan or not. Jeff, you did a great job with the story. Uh, everyone has to go read it. Uh, it's, uh, it, and like, like Jeff says, it is something that you might not get, as in depth because of other people and their, and their mentality. But like Steve is one who is blatantly honest about everything. And uh, Jeff, what is maybe one of the honest moments that you saw that either, you know, 
took you back, took your heart away, that sort of thing? Well, during the morning regimen, you know, because ALS attacks your nerves that control your motor skills, uh, you know, he can't move any any muscles in his body now. Uh, he has to have these his caretakers do that for him. And in the morning, every morning, he's on a routine now. Uh, he has to they have basically induce a bowel movement every morning. And to do that, I mean, they have to basically force him to use the restroom. And it is a grueling, grueling ordeal. And he, you know, in Steve's true, uh, you know, character, I mean, he makes fun of it. He calls it like his daily exorcism because he's got, you know, slobber coming out of his nose. Uh, as he says, shit coming out of my ass. I mean, he, he, he's like, <laughs> every day I've got to do this. And, you know, and it's humiliating. That's the other thing. It's, it's, you've got to humble yourself when you have this disease. You've got to let people, uh, take care of you and that's hard for someone that's wired like him this is a guy that was a special teams captain on the team for eight years and i mean fearless guy uh you know a surfer adventure traveler badass he was a badass he still is a badass obviously but to be able to surrender your independence and your nobility if you will uh is tough and a lot of people and i understand it don't want to do it they say screw this i can't keep doing this i can't do it to my family I can't do it to the people around me. And they elect to just kind of let the disease take its course. That's that's one road, and it's certainly, uh, you know, no one's judging how you handle this very difficult disease. He's chosen a more difficult road, and uh, I think there's nobility in that too uh, because he's trying to help people, and he's trying to be a good father and husband uh, under some really, really trying circumstances. Absolutely, Jeff. Great job on the story. Um, like I said, I know you've been chronicling this for as long as this has been going on, 10 years. So great job, my friend, retelling this story. And please go check it out uh, on The Athletic. And kudos to our former Times Picayune colleague, Ted Jackson, some incredible photos that we have with this story. So uh, pl- go check it out. Be worth your time. And just, hey. You know, Steve's fighting that good fight. Uh, And so uh, everyone needs to be a little bit more like Steve every day in their life. All right, real quick, predictions. I'll go first, Jeff, for this playoff game. I'm going Saints 31, Bears 17. And I I just think the Saints, as we've talked about, they could stop the run game. I don't think that offense is going to get going uh, for Chicago. And I think the Saints, offensively, they can move the ball and they'll be able to move it basically – any which way they want. So 31-17 Saints. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, I'll go maybe a little lower for the Bears, like 31-9. I just think the Saints defense is really going to have a field day against this group. And I think the key for the Saints in this game is, like every game, trying to stay healthy. If they control the ball and Drew Brees avoids turnovers, they, you know, don't turn it over, uh, they should have their way with the Bears and move on to what really gets serious in, in round two. Absolutely. All right, that's going to wrap up this edition of the Duncan Holder podcast, theathletic.com slash Duncan Holder. You can subscribe $3.99 a month through our podcast, and uh, you could get everything you want with The Athletic. And we're going to have all kinds of great coverage coming up this week and throughout the playoffs and into the postseason once, or the offseason once the Saints eventually get there for the Saints' sake, hopefully not after this week. And we'll chronicle that. You get everything. And, of course, for our podcast, 
Duncan Holder, Apple, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can listen to us through there. So for Jeff Duncan, I'm Larry Holder. Thanks for joining us once again on the Duncan Holder Podcast on the Athletics Podcast Network.